for the way that you show grace and how you've been at work in our lives. Uh, thank you that everybody's here. God, I'm trusting that their heart is in the same place where mine is, that I want to learn from you to submit myself to the Holy Spirit, to not avoid anything, to not mask anything, but to really pursue you and to do it with my family. Uh, would you please reveal to us what it means to fully love you with all our hearts, to love you, love people, and to be willing to change the world and do what it takes to reach people. Thank you for all the ways that you make sense out of our lives. Father, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series in Romans 12 about loving without hypocrisy. Hey, thank you, dude. And uh, in loving without hypocrisy, remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that the way Paul writes, love, let, let love be without hypocrisy, or the love without hypocrisy, that that's kind of a title, and then there's 30 descriptors of how that happens. And right now we're going to focus just on one of them. We're going to look at verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Okay, now let's do just a little bit of Greek uh, so we can make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all getting this. Uh, if you raise your hand if you've got the New International Version. Anybody got NIV? Anybody got NIV? Okay, Cooper, get ready to, to share from your translation. I got to tell you, it's a little hard for me to say this, but the NAS, New American Standard, the best translation. Drops the ball here, just drops it, you know, nobody bats a thousand, those poor guys, what do those scholars know anyway, really, come on, all those PhD. Uh, the word contributing, Cooper, how does it translate it in NIV? Uh, Romans 12, 13? Yep. I'm sure in that verse. Uh, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Yep. Practice hospitality. There you go, there you go. The word uh, is actually koinonuntes in Greek, and it literally is a form of the word koinonia. How many of you heard of the word koinonia? That's kind of one that we standard grew up on in, in the average church that even tries to deal with original language, and it just literally means fellowship is what it means, you know, and the idea of, of koinonia is that there's a kind of oneness of mind, oneness of heart, oneness of mind, have you ever been with someone that's your true soulmate and you have that sense of that the two hearts, the two souls are one? That is fellowship. That is koinonia. Two hearts, two minds bound together in common agreement and common love. And that is really to be characteristic of the church. We all share oneness of soul. We all do that. All right. So Paul borrows that word and, and tweaks it a bit and says koinonuntes which means that it is our habit. It's kind of normal for us to be sharing in the meeting of needs. It's, it's what we do. Remember, those, that's a participle verb. The word practicing, really interesting. One more word here. Dioko, dioko. And dioko is used principally in, in your Bible as persecute. Bless those who dioko you, who persecute you. Uh, blessed are you when you are dioko, when you're persecuted. But then it's also translated as chase and pursue. It's really kind of unusual. And, and Paul will say to Timothy, Timothy, you young man, I want you to chase after. I want you to dioko. 
faith and, and, and purity and righteousness and all these godly qualities. I want you to chase after those things. So dioko means really to chase after, to run after. can also mean to persecute. And it's really an odd word. Why in the world did Paul grab that word? Why did he, why did he say dioko? To chase after and persecute. Well, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, Bruce Trice, he'll be coming in here uh, right after the funny story. When he does, just laugh. Just laugh at him. And he'll, he'll, why are you laughing? Uh, I had dinner uh, with the Trices, wonderful meal. Um, Colin cooked the asparagus and, and Janice cooked bread and, and grilled salmon. It was an amazing meal. They told a story of a possum that terrorized their backyard. And what did the manly men Bruce do? He diokoed the possum. <laughs> he chased it down and harassed it in such a way that it fled. Okay, guess what? That's a pretty good word for persecution. That's a pretty good idea for persecution. To chase someone down you hate and make their life so miserable they go away. Persecution. Anybody getting, getting some visuals right now about persecution? Chase them down, make them so miserable they go away. All right, let me show you some pictures. you appreciate this. Uh, this is a little bit about the background. Real quick, pop through this. We covered this last time, just real quick. This is what's going on in Rome. Uh, 139 BC, uh, there's, there's aggressive missionary efforts, and so Hispanus decides to kick out the Jews. AD 19, Tiberius expels Jews for the Rome. Same reason. AD 41, Claudius is the new emperor, and he tells the Jews, stop meeting. Church is now illegal. Synagogues closed down. Can't meet. By the way, that's going on all over the world, especially with Muslim-dominant nations right now. They are forbidding Christians to hold meetings. Same thing. AD 49, Claudius has had enough. He's had enough of Jews, particularly he's had enough of Christian Jews that won't shut up because they go out doing this thing called evangelism. And they're, and, and they're, they're talking to people about Jesus. And by the way, when you're a Roman... <coughs> And someone evangelizes you, and you turn away from the Roman pantheon, pantheos, all the gods of Rome, and you become a Christian. What did you, what did you just do? You became a functional atheist for the Roman system. That's not good. Atheists are bad. Atheists don't honor God. When you don't honor God, you get judged. And so Rome doesn't like Christians telling people to be atheists to all the Roman gods, and there's a whole buffet of them. So these Christians are causing trouble. And finally, Claudius says, I, I, we're having enough, and, and, and kicks them out of Rome. This is an edict. AD 57, Paul writes the churches. By the way, Claudius probably, uh, well, well, I know that he, um, his reign wraps up about AD 54, and the edict is lifted, so Gordon, Christians get to come back, AD 54-ish, 55-ish, they come back. All right? Eighty sixty four, persecution breaks out in the most horrific way. Let's do some pictures to help you appreciate this. This is a picture of Trajan's Market. Look at the buildings. They're going up. Vertical orientation to the buildings, right? Now, if you uh, were in this, if you were fortunate, you were wealthy, you might be able to rent out one of these shops. You possibly were doing pottery or making jewelry or religious trinkets that you would wear 
uh, a lot of the ancient Mediterraneans, uh, Frank believed that a trinket would actually empower you. Just like law enforcement are empowered in uniform and with the badge and the Glock, that is their first deterrent is you see an officer in uniform and you automatically are put in the mindset to obey them by virtue of the uniform. In our culture, it creates authority. Well, in their culture, they would do similar things and sometimes they would believe if you put on a certain sash or if you wore a certain amulet, it would protect you from demons and, and uh, evil spirits that would be everywhere. Um, if you were poor, you might have a shop set out here in the open market, the agora. Look at this structure here. This is a very, very old tenement apartment building in Rome. Tenement apartment building in Rome. And it's going up. Now you need to appreciate something. If we could go into a time capsule, it would probably look like this. This is a photo from, 19, from the 1900s in New York City in a tenement building. It looks awful, doesn't it? You're looking at the common living conditions for a citizen of Rome who is poor. A lot of these people are Christians. The higher you go up in the, in the Roman tenement buildings, these structures, the more poor and unstable the building became and the more prone to fire. The paneling that would separate one family from the next was flimsy, very little privacy, very unclean. It was a dangerous place to live, and it was nasty. It just wasn't good. This is a pretty good representation of what it would be like, all right? People sleeping on floors, makeshift bedding, and all those things. Let's do another picture here. This is a really accurate representation of what Rome would have looked like during the time of Christ. What I want you to see is notice the vertical orientation. This is like in China and Beijing. They have apartment complexes in, in superstructures that will hold an entire city of, of U.S. people just in one apartment structure in Beijing. An entire city vertically oriented, all right? With everything you need in that building or immediately around the base of it so that you don't need a car. You have no need of a car. Everything you need is, is immediate or, or, or in, in close walking distance, all right? This is what's going on in Rome. This is what it looked like, what it would feel like. The density, it's packed. And unless you lived in the wealthier sections of the city, you were going to be most likely in those upper level, levels four and five of these very poor tenement buildings. And it's there that you would have church. Can you imagine doing church there? Packing 20 people in? If it was a large area, maybe third floor, fourth floor, you might get a few more in. Or unless you happen to be very wealthy and you converted to Christ and you had your actual maybe first floor dwelling, you might be able to put 40 people, 40 people in that house church on the lower floor. Okay? All right. Does this ring a bell? Guess what's going on here? Yep. Yeah. These are Kurdish refugees being forced out of Syria. Okay. By the way, do you know why they're being forced out? They're just hated. That's all. They're just hated. Okay. That's all. They're just hated. There's, there's tribes in Africa. Tribe A hates tribe B. 
And they live to kill Tribe B. It's been going on for centuries. Tribe B hates Tribe A. They try to kill them all. It's tribal genocide. It goes, over, goes on all over the planet. Okay? Muslims hate Muslims. The Sunnis hate the, the, the Shiites. The Shiites hate the Sunnis. And if you've got Sunni Kurds, they hate them. And if the Shiites are the dominant power with more AK-47s, and they get to persecute the, the others, then they kick them out. It's ethnic cleansing. It's going on all over the place. Just like a white may hit a black. A black may hit a white. Why? No justifiable reason at all. None. But we're just rotten people. And Mexicans hate blacks. And blacks hate Mexicans. And uh, the Americans hate the Russians. And the Russians hate the Americans. Can I go on? You get the point. We're just bad people. <laughs> we're just screwed up in our minds. And we... We get things all twisted and knotted up and we hate without any basis at all because they're different or, or because we're paranoid or whatever. So these Kurds are being forced out. This is exactly what it would have looked like when the edict of Claudius, Claudius was given and those Christians were expelled from Rome. Forced out. What you could carry with you, they may let you take. And there would be Roman version, uh, Brian of their version of police, making sure you exited the city. You guys ready? Turn to Romans 16. Turn to Romans 16. I pray that the eyes of your heart will open up. I want you to turn to Romans 16, and I want you to get ready to click over or turn over and, and hold your thumb there if you've got printed Bibles to, to Acts 18. All right, Acts 18. I want you to get rid of these two things. So here's what I want you to see. When you look at Acts 18.2, it says that during the Edict of Claudius, and they expelled the Jews from the Romans, who are the two people that are kicked out of Rome? Yep, Aquila, Prisca, and Aquila get kicked out. Okay. They're some of the people that kicked out of Rome. All right, now look at Romans 16. We're going to start at verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Guess what? They got to go back. They got to go back. Now look at Romans 16 closely. Do you realize you're looking at a hit list? Romans chapter 16 Three down is a list of Christian leaders who were targeted for the expulsion of Rome. Am I making sense? You see it? Aquila and Prisca happen to be mentioned first, and they got to go back. They're, these are the people that leave. Now let's try to get our minds around this and appreciate it. Can you imagine of the churches in Little Rock, the pastors that are taking seriously scripture and they're owning it. And these pastors are kind of bearing up under the burden to tell truth and to not just candy coat and give rainbows and sparkly fuzzies from the pulpit. The, the, the feel good churches, the church is really telling the truth and the churches that are being annoying because they're out there in the Agora, in the marketplaces and they're evangelizing. Can you imagine if Little Rock authorities <clears throat> issue an edict that all of those pastors targeted are going to be expelled from the state of Arkansas. And can you imagine if we had to go someplace we didn't want to go, someplace horrible, 
like Texas. No, I, I am so sorry. I did not mean to say that. I'm sorry. And I've got devoted Texas writing. I am so sorry. Where else can you go? Uh, something really bad like Michigan. We had to go to Michigan. Right? And all these, all these committed pastors from Little Rock and, and around Arkansas were all kicked out. And, and uh, against, against Brian's will, he's got to be in the escort to make sure we get out of the state. And Brian's going to be there to make sure we cross the state line as we migrate on to Michigan, for example. Okay. And then can you imagine the governor of Arkansas changes out. There's a new one, and the edict is lifted, and we, we find out that we get to come home. And pastors and their wives and their children get to migrate as refugees returning to their home city. And you come back to Little Rock, and you come back to the church, and there you are meeting again with the people that you used to live with and do life with day in and day out. And then a a year later, a few months later, we get this letter from Paul that says, share in the needs of the saints. Chase after, pursue hospitality. Chase after it, pursue it. Now when you understand that historical background and you get the big picture, what do you think Paul is trying to say about meeting needs and practicing hospitality. Can I tell you what he's not doing? He's not saying, prepare a meal ready for a photograph in Southern Living and then invite your fellow Southern Living people over for dinner and knowing that they're going to do that one back for you. He is not talking about that. He's talking about the very leaders of the church that were kicked out and they're coming back. They're in trouble financially. He's talking about caring for the people that are being persecuted. For example, what if me and Lisa were kicked out of Little Rock, but my daughter Catherine got to stay? Who's going to take her in? You think you would? Would you let her sleep on the floor because you're in the fifth floor of your tenement building? Is there room for Catherine to sleep on the floor? What about little Caroline? Because Stephen's a troublemaker too, because he, he sings songs that promote atheism, by the way. Terrible about doing that. And so they, they decide to let the newborn stay, and they decide to let little Caroline and a few others stay. Who's going to take them in? Who's going to take in a nursing baby that won't stop crying? Who's going to take in a, a rambunctious four-year-old? Let him sleep on your floor? What are you going to do? This is what's happening. What about meanwhile, Stephen is arrested prior to the expulsion when Brian, when Brian gets the, the order and he's got to carry it out because he's law enforcement. And he's arrested. I'm arrested. Who's going to take care of Lisa? Who's going to take care of Rebecca? This is what we're talking about. Sharing in, taking ownership of the needs of the body of Christ in this kind of context. <clears throat> And then chase down opportunities to be hospitable. That's what it means. It's not a Southern Living Exchange program. It's literally caring for those that can't care for themselves. It's widows. It's orphans. It's those in prison, those being jailed. And it's refugees. Leaving or returning refugees is what he's talking about. And that we are the body of Christ. 
we are, this is our normal. Sharing in these needs and, and chasing down opportunities to be hospitable. That's our normal. That's what we do. Okay, ladies, I want to tell you something. Okay. By the way, if you're a Western, middle, if you're a Western person, you probably have self-esteem issues. Can I just say that? If you live in America, you've got self-esteem issues. You know, this party, body part's not big enough. This body part's too small. This one has a bad shape. Something's wrong with your body. It's all about our bodies. You know, it's all about our souls. It's all about something messed up, our personalities. And it's all about our home and our car. We're Western people. We think that way. Ladies, please hear me. Please, ladies. You are far more than your bodies. Far more. Far more. And you know what? You're far more than your home. Far more than your home. And the idea that you, the pressure that you think you could be hospitable if your home was perfect. And the idea that if you could just get your home clean. I'm like really clean, you know. You know, and decorated just right. Then your home all of a sudden becomes loving? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Can you imagine taking a broken and beaten down Christian into your home that lost everything a year ago? Or two years ago? Do you think they care whether or not your house is clean? No. Not at all. Not at all. Do you think that baby cares? No. No. We sometimes think that we're ready to do ministry when we are economically flawless or when we're just this ideal kind of thing. And once you hit fantasy status, now you're ready for ministry. You know. By the way, um, can I tell you what my heart's desire for Christ Church is? Not that we would be cool. Not that we would be big. And, and, and I've got thousands and thousands coming just to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. <laughs> no. Not that we would be big. My prayer is that we would be holy. That we would be pure. That's my prayer. That's what I want. That we would love. As Christ loved. And that we would be willing to speak truth like Christ did. And that we would do the kinds of things he would do. That's what will make Christ church pleasing. Not that we get bragging rights on Western terms. It's whether or not we are holy and pleasing to a living God. That's my dream for us. And when we move toward sharing in the needs of the saints. And we, we chase down people who need a place to sleep. Or who need a meal. We are being holy. We are doing the real thing of the church. It's not that the pastor can tell the best jokes. Or if he can and give you that one insight on the life coaching level. That just really does it for you. Or the band just can, can sing that song that would make Hillsong jealous. It's not that. It's not those things. Ladies, your home can be the most beautiful place to receive people who are broken and need help and be a mess. Just like a church <laughs> can be the best place 
to get truth and love and the right food at the right time. And it's a mess and messy and unorganized and, and full of concrete blocks and kind of smell just a little bit, you know, and it'd be wonderful. Wonderful. God's called us to holiness. He didn't call us to cool. He called us to holy. And this is who we are. Did you know last week, 43 hours were spent caring for people whose lives are broken? 43 hours. That's before I touched Romans. Okay? Do you know the only reason why that happened? Is because you contribute and give to the needs of me and Lisa. You share in our needs. If that doesn't happen, it all stops. Everything stops. I've got to go, I've got to get a secular job, and, and that whole thing starts. Because of that, God is doing ministry in ways that is amazing. Things I can't talk about. But it's real, and it's happening. And it, it's because of you. Thank you for sharing in these things. Thank you for practicing, chasing after hospitality. You are the gifted body of Christ. If we were to bear up under this thing and appreciate what the scriptures say in historical terms, not in middle class American terms, but in historical terms, and we could bear up under this, that this is how we love without hypocrisy. This is the real thing. What would be unique about Christ Church? What would our priorities be? What difference would this make in our lives and the lives of other people? Russ, thank you. Um, I, I, you. You guys got your big, big boy, big girl pants on? I'm going to say something that's going to feel like a sharp razor right now. Okay? You guys ready? Russ, are we talking about generosity and caring for insiders or outsiders? Insiders. Insiders. Okay. Does anybody here feel like a, a deep burden and pressure? to care for outsiders, non-believers, non-Christians that we see starving on the streets of Little Rock. And that somehow your faith rises and falls on your generosity toward this kind of people. Anybody feel that pressure? That's not what Paul's talking about. Okay, now you ready for the sharper edge of this <laughs> razor? Did you know that guy, if there was a wonderful soup kitchen ministry by Dr. and Mrs. Compassion that they set up there and that wherever that place that we're going to call it the Palestinian version of Las Vegas because that's probably where that kid went with all that money right 
We're going to put our dysfunction on him. So that kid goes to Palestinian Vegas, where he spends his money on wine, women, and song, or whatever is available, I guess. Then it says he runs out of money. And then what happens? He gets real poor, right? He gets so poor, he's feeding pigs. Now, for a Jew to do that, that's a bit comedic. This is a tense situation. (laughs) He's desperate. And he gets so desperate, he's willing to eat what the pigs eat. Did you know if that wonderful compassion soup kitchen ministry were right there? And he could fill his belly with that wonderful soup. His need to repent and his need to go home wouldn't be so great, would it? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Not everybody can handle those things. When love has no hypocrisy, Russ, we share in the needs of the saints and we chase after hospitality. By the way, practicing dioko. Remember, it can also mean persecute and pursue. Mary's here. Mary just ran a half marathon during the Little Rock Marathon event. She's chasing after something. There's a goal. Dioko. Chasing after, looking for and chasing after the opportunity to be hospitable. Someone else, why does this matter? It's hard to make a comparison with us, a refugee and the townhouses, because that's not what we see every day. But if you listen to what people say in the conversation, you hear this deep need, which is a horrific, I mean, it's this hugely deep need. And it goes like this. I'm so desperate for community and having personal relationships that are close to people. And you'll hear that said over and over again. And it is usually in some sort of paragraph about how I'm so busy. I'm just so busy. And we have this activity and we have that activity. And I'm so, I'm so busy. But if you listen to this need, this desperate need that's being expressed, it's I need other people. So if we were going to, if we people would meet other people's most deep needs that are in our church, we would pursue hospitality aggressively, and we would do that by building lives that have time for hospitality. We would say, no, we are not going to do soccer because it sucks the life out of us. Did you guys see the Babylon Bee post that said parents of their teenager is extremely upset at the church for failing to meet the needs of their teenage daughter? And uh, it describes this family's activity. And by that time, they do all the intramural sports on multiple levels. You've seen it. By the time they do the, the clubs, everything, they manage to get to church about once a quarter. Right, every three to four months, 
and, and they're really upset that the youth program is not transforming the life of their teenager, you know, who shows up four times a year. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we as Westerners mask our real needs with busyness? Do you think we do that? Man, I do. I do. And yet, and Andrew, you said it so well. You're a prophet. We who are the busiest and cover up our needs and mask our needs with busyness are those who claim, uh, complain the most about loneliness. We, we complain the most about, I lack community, and why don't I have that soulmate, Koinonia thing going on? But we're the ones that, 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 that have no time for people. outside of our understanding and I'm like something made me think about the barriers that the enemy puts up and how that <clears throat> you see the fruit today we like to complain about this generation but we forget that we raised this generation, this generation. <laughs> and, and so like I, I'm like it was just this eye-opening thing of seeing that the enemy has been at work 100 years ago caused trouble for us today and so I'm like, okay, God, I see this, but I don't see. Like, will you show me what our particular culture, the barriers are that in our culture that the enemy has been developing over the years in partnership with the flesh and in partnership with the world? And over the course of a week, God just boom, 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 showed me four primary things that are barriers to us really being the body of Christ. One is time. We just allow ourselves to be pulled away. We're so busy. Yeah. The amount of work we have to do to maintain the style of living and all this, the, the, the neighborhoods we want to live in and all those kinds of things. The second thing was proximity. We're just too far apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And we learned that you can walk out of someone, your door and walk to someone's house who is also in the family of faith. The world around you sees the love you have for each other. Yeah. The world doesn't see us right now unless we invited him to come in here. So the world, the love that we have for each other, it's not wasted, but it's not seen by the world. The third thing you showed me was uh, intentionality, that when we are together, we aren't intentional about being the body, about being real about these things. And then the force is is really what our common purpose is. Um, And you ask everybody, Everybody will have a different understanding. That really needs to be, it's critical, absolutely critical that that's defined. And and those four things, I think Satan himself, the 
Prince of this world, in our culture, those are the four primary things. And we have to be willing to look at those things and say, how am I being sucked into this deception, and this one, and this one, and this one? Yeah. And then you have to make hard decisions about how you live your life, where you live, the kind of job you have, what your purpose is, what you spend your time doing. Yeah. And that yeah. is incredibly hard because it goes against everything that yeah. we thought was valuable, everything that this world tells us is important. And how we were raised. Exactly. Absolutely. And how our grandpa, uh, grandparents raised you know, our mom. Yeah, absolutely, God. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, when it comes to body, body parts and how they function, sometimes you're going to hear from a hand, and they're going to say hand kind of things in a foot or a nose or an ear. And we need that holistic, complete understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. Daniel. Something that's become that has been in this area really heavy on my heart in the past few years. Uh, if I, I think I, I hear what Andrea say. That's, and I've seen Allison for the she's not here this morning. But I thought about her. Uh, we've been married ten years, and for ten years I've constantly heard that cry of, I just, I need, I just feel like I need, I need someone, I need mm -hmm. a girl that I can talk to, that I can, and around me, and for 10 years, I've been saying, and set it up, just do it, and it's this struggle of, it's the, the pressure that social media puts on us to feel like life is perfect, and all of that, and finally, this last year, she heard Three months ago, she just did it. She put an invite out on Facebook, and and two other people showed up. Uh, one was a good friend from the past, and one was an acquaintance that we, we both knew. But two other women showed up, and they have just like and the life that that brought to her. And the first night that she had it, our house was sparkling clean, and every night since, it's just been. Normal. Lived it. And, and yeah. we have that, and it's that, that desire for us to, and she said so, like, if, if your, if your house needs to be perfect for your friends to come over and see it, then those aren't necessarily, like, if you're, they're, they're probably not your really good friends if they're going to cast judgment on you because you have kids, and therefore you have mess and you can't keep up with it. What is he talking about? <laughs> Life happens. Something that has stuck out to me just so clearly is when I look at, as an adult, when I look back growing up and right now, uh, as, and I'm, I've gotten older, I've, I've developed relationships, my own relationships with just solid men that are around me, but in my late teens and early 20s, if I needed a, an adult man to reach out to, they were, they were the men that I grew up with. It wasn't my dad or a pastor. The people that were around me that I could reach out to and say, I need someone who's been here, were the people that were in my house that were my parents' friends growing up. I can count four or five of them that I can still reach out to if I need them. Mm. 
And by isolating ourselves, if I don't have those people around, I am taking men out of the lives of Jared and Satan that they will be able to reach out to. And it's, it's going to become generational because our kids, our kids desperately, just like I desperately needed to see my parents interact with other adults and other Christian men and women, our kids need that. We're taking that away from them. And if you ask why, it's that, that question of, of why people are leaving the churches because they don't, when it's just Sunday morning and that's all they see is just a routine. <coughs> they don't see it going on through the week. When our kids are young, we are the only opportunity <coughs> they have to see, see faith outside yeah. of Sunday yeah. morning. Yeah. Real quick. You know, we'll invite the most unusual people into our homes through cable TV and Netflix on a regular basis and not invite a godly man or a godly woman to sit at our table. Jesus said this. And he also went on to say, to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. By the way, all marginalized. Do you know why they were marginalized? There's no social they, are they damaged people? Why, are they, why would someone be crippled and blind? Because of sin. Sin, yeah, they're judged. God is withdrawing blessing. God's cursing and not blessing, and therefore they're blind. So they're, they're, they're under the judgment of God. Why would you invite a judged person under your roof? That would be silly in this honor-shame culture. So Christ turns culture on its head and said, no, no, no. You invite those very people, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the ultimate hospitality event, by the way. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which was given to all the churches in Macedonia, that in a greater deal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and in their deep poverty... They overflowed with wealth and generosity. I testify, I'm, I'm a witness that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of Quinonia, of participating in the support of the saints. And this, not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves, their, their lives, to us by the will of God. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. We contribute, we give, of ourselves to the needs of the saints 
and we literally chase down and seek out ways to show hospitality. Because you know it's not about a Southern Living photograph home. We know it's about loving people and caring for people. That's what matters. Uh, Christchurch, please, please take seriously the need to meet needs through hospitality. Please. Community groups, get them going. Get them going. There are people right now longing for that. Open up your home. Don't worry about being super organized. Don't worry about a flawless meal or a flawless program. Uh, you know, we talk about doing life. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. Please, seek out opportunities and ways to show the love and the grace of God. Now, if you were to appreciate uh, a bit of... Um, let me go this direction. I'm sorry. If you'd appreciate this right here a little bit, and you understood what the Lord's Supper was about, that when someone is under, in, in this kind of context, uh, can you imagine what it would be like to share together with the body of Christ, knowing that the bread and the juice that would be taken at the Lord's Supper might be the meal that you get that day? And that would change the dynamic of taking the Eucharist. But that's it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how important it is that the church be hospitable? How important that is. So I want to share some scriptures with you. <coughs> what does it mean to be a Christian? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm a former Catholic. And as a Catholic, uh, you get to God through the church. They say it's through Christ, but it's through the church because they literally broker and manage Christ and they broke and manage the Eucharist, so they, you really go to Christ through the church. But Jesus said, no, no, no. The church is foundational to the gospel, but the church is not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. And I appreciate what Tim Hawkins said. Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. <laughs> and I agree. I'd, I'd change it just a bit. Not only he didn't come to make good people better, he didn't even come to make better people excellent. He's not here to make good people excellent at all. He's here to bring life. Regarding life, Paul writes, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes and it results in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <clears throat> Peter minces no words. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter said, and the, with the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. For all who are far away. And as many as the Lord God would call to himself. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. <clears throat> if you do not know what it means to be born again. That Jesus Christ can actually live in your heart. And move you from a state of being dead to a state of being alive. Would you please come talk to me? 
get up during worship and come talk to me. By the way, speaking of this, Stephen, this is beautiful. Last Sunday, remember when I talked about uh, your ethics as a Christian when you go to work and how you work for your boss? Do you remember that? No, I forget your sermons. It was a great sermon. You surely remember. Did you know <laughs> one of the guys here, do you know what he did right when the worship started, Stephen? He texts his boss to ask forgiveness. Because when he was an employee, he did a lousy job and had a lousy attitude. That's obedience. That is obedience. The Holy Spirit may have already spoken to you this morning. And when we start worshiping or doing it right now, you need to get up and give somebody 20 bucks. You need to contribute to the needs of the body. You need to own it. And it's an eye-to-eye ownership. It's not a write a check for somebody across the, across the pond. It's an eye-to-eye kind of ownership. When we're singing songs, obey. Obey the Lord. And that may mean you need to get on the phone and, and call somebody. <coughs> that may mean that the Holy Spirit is already telling you, you need to meet some needs of some people. And that, may, that need may not be 20 bucks. That, may, that need may be something like this. You ready? You got your big girl pants on? You ready? Big boy pants on. It may mean this. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Or I've neglected you. I'm going to commit to meet your needs and love you. Does it make sense? That's when we are people who really do follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you. I ask in your name that there would be no neglect today. We would be obedient to your spirit. We would share in the meeting of needs and we would pursue and chase down opportunities to be hospitable and we would stop neglecting ourselves because we of all the excuses of being busy the emotional, psychological energy just spent on Facebook alone would be more than enough to care for dozens of people. Teach us your ways. Teach us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.